What is up, podcast fam? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange Podcast, where I am committed to creating a community filled with more movement, more gratitude, and more joy. So thank you so much for tuning in in today's show. Now, I do have one request. As you're listening to the show, I don't want you to just let the information go in one ear and out the other. I want you to do your best to apply this information, this knowledge, this wisdom into your life. So please make the most of this time. I appreciate you so much. And one last request is if this show resonates with you, if you gain some sort of value from this episode, please, please, please leave a review in the iTunes store. It makes such a huge impact in this mission to reach more people and inspire more people and empower more people. I love you so much. Thank you in advance. I appreciate you. And I can't wait for you to dive in today's show. Let's get it. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange Podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I have such a special treat for you today. I got my guy, John O'Connor, in the building. And John is a very knowledgeable, wise, gifted, nutrigenomics, do we say expert? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm founder of a nutrigenomics startup, you know, I mean, it, it, we're learning, we're always learning. I don't know you say expert, but nerd, nutrigenomics nerd. How's that? Ooh, I like that. Nutrigenomics yeah. nerd. And we're going to be diving deep into nutrition and other environmental factors that are going to impact your physiology, your health. And I think now more than ever, this is the information that we need. So John, welcome to the show, brother. Man, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I'm honestly a little jealous seeing all the green in San Diego. Um, it, I'm excited to connect back to my Cali roots. So, so John, uh, your work is special. It's unique. And I want to know what really intrigued you, what facilitated you dedicating your entire life to the study of nutrition and how it affects all aspects of our life. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, for me, I am part of a community of people who have gotten on the wrong side of things in terms of health. They've gotten out of balance, not in, not in a way that's as acute as some others, like some, you know, it's not, it's not about being hospitalized or, you know, having something where you, you, you really truly did have to be under the care of like physicians around the clock. That's not what I'm talking about, but there's a, there's a rash of just nagging things that are happening to people in our, in our, in our country. Um, you know, and I see, I mean, my, my girlfriend is from, uh, is from Tokyo and, you know, she's come to the United States and, and I think she has unique challenges that are associated with some of the food that we eat and some of the ways that we've allowed, um, corporations to, uh, shirk the externalities that they're putting into the environment by, uh, you know, different, uh, genetically modified crops, you know, roundup, all those types of things. And I feel like what that, um, what that has led to is, is in part, I'm not putting it all at the feet of corporations. I think part of it's stress, I think part of it's technology, but the people are getting on the wrong side of their health. And that was me. 
And I just couldn't quite understand why. And I was doing things that felt very normal socially. They were very accepted. You know, I had social cover for having a couple glasses of wine, you know, stressful job working in startups. And I kind of realized that that really wasn't working for me. And I realized it at an early age. I'm in my late 20s, early 30s. And I'm kind of like, man, I feel I feel stressed out. I feel scattered. I feel just off. You know, I'm not relating to people the way I necessarily want to. Or I know I, I'm not showing up as, as good of a version of myself as I could as consistently as I'd like to. And so what that led me to was not some, you know, perfection or some, I'm going to, you know, cleanse myself of all my errors. All those errors are going to be there. And they're going to, you know, people that know me are well aware, are well aware of that, that, that there's, that they're still very, very, very much there and very active. But I, I did find that there were a set of kind of like individualized rules that I could follow. Um, and things that I needed to be uniquely looking out for that maybe some other people didn't. And I think that, um, and, and it basically motivated me to try to create a platform that would be not the sole voice, not, you know, it's not our, our algorithm is not the end all be all of these conversations. We think it sits as a, at a foundational level. We think it's good. We want to be part of this movement that's going to help people get to the bottom of what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. And, and so I found that I had some unique health challenges and, and issues, and I wanted to kind of explore how we as a community could um, tease out the root cause of some of the things that we see people struggling with. Mm, I love that. And you mentioned root cause, which I think is so critical because so often, especially now, uh, there's so many different fad diets and that's how it always is, right? There's so many people trying keto, paleo, vegan, and, and a lot of times it's not sustainable. And a lot of times it's not even the right approach for their specific DNA. And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned uh, that you had your own set of struggles and that's really what inspired you to dive deeper into this work. Would you mind sharing some of those things that you were struggling with? Yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, we touched on it in the intro call. I've always noticed that um, I have very strong reactions to different locations. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I was younger, you know, in my early twenties or even in my teens, I mean, I would notice I'd come out here to the coast of California and I'd feel totally different, um, than I would in, you know, where I grew up, like in the Midwest, or if I was living in some other cities, I've lived in like Charlotte, North Carolina, or I lived in Austin. And so I realized early on that I was somebody who was very attuned and could show up as different versions of myself, um, based on my physical location. And I think that um, that is something that's, we already know that that's out there kind of on the scientific record because we know allergy. You know, you put somebody in an environment where they get in and their immune system's reacting to something that's very commonly found in the air. And that's, you know, kind of a location effect. Um, I found for me that it extended to food, to um, especially histamine issues, you know, being in New York City, having a ton of stress, environmental pollutants, drinking a lot of red wine. Um, I have a couple of genetic markers for histamine intolerance, but histamine intolerance is not something that, that is driven entirely by genetics. And so I would, I would just, uh, I'd get a bug bite, you know, and it would swell up huge. And that's a sign of an overactive immune system. And so I I had these location signals. I had these small, weird kind of things like getting a bug bite that swells up huge or, you know, having a difficult time concentrating and having a lot of that stuff resolved based on lot of it based on location. And so for me, that, that was, I I realized that I had, you know, sensitivity to environment and that I was going to be best suited to 
certain locations over others mm-hmm. and that um, certain types of classes of food I was not going to do as well with as others. And I just started piecing that all together. And, um, and that, that was, that was, those were some of the things that I noticed for myself. Awesome, dude. Thanks for sharing. So do you yeah. feel like after uh, the, the world gets a little bit back to normal, do you think you're going to stay in California, stay out on the West Coast? Or do you see yourself returning back to New York? I don't see myself returning. I mean, I'm definitely going to go back to New York and, um, and, and visit and uh, hang out and enjoy the city. But we, I mean, I love the city. I'm, I'm rooting for it to, to do well. Right now, the expense of it um, so great. And then when you combine that with the, with the fact that unfortunately, because of the pandemic, there's, there's not a lot. I mean, my girlfriend works in theater and as a performer, so she can't, you know, Broadway is shut down until next year, maybe spring, maybe summer. So there's no work for her. And I find like my routines, like I would wake up, go to my local coffee shop, read the paper with my dog, all that kind of stuff is, is on hold. So I don't see myself returning to the city anytime soon. I think there's some challenges that New York's going to have to work through. I think it's going to come back stronger and better. But in the meantime, for me, I I see myself gravitating here and also to Wyoming, which is where I spent a lot of time in quarantine. I learned a lot being being in Wyoming about what I need out of a location. Mm, Yeah, dude, I can't wait to connect with nature like that. And I feel like that that external environment really does has a profound impact on the internal environment as well. I'm curious to know, uh, selfishly, and I think this is going to provide a lot of value for everyone listening and watching. Uh, I ran through, I gave my my uh, 23andMe report to John and his team, right? And they have created this special algorithm that'll basically divide you into one of, I believe, 20 different diet types, depending on your genetics. Is that right, John? Yeah, that's right. 20 different diet types. Yeah. Beautiful. So, so what we're going to spend a little time doing uh, is, is breaking down my specific DNA, my diet type, what foods maybe are good for me to thrive on, and then what foods I should probably be staying away from. So can we spend a little time uh, diving deep into these details? We'll spend a lot of time, man. We'll, we'll dive in. We'll do it. We'll go through your whole report. Um, I do want to say for people listening at home, the food sensitivity issue is something we can pick up in a couple of cases like with dairy, with wheat, um, some of the histamine stuff. Uh, we can pick up some of the, a lot of the food sensitivity things that we're seeing, I think, out there that people are really curious about are driven a lot by lifestyle too. So antibiotic use, like stuff that happens mm-hmm. to you, you know, your genes are there right when you're born. But then a lot of the food sensitivity stuff happens, I think, sits on top of that um, in terms of microbiome changes. So we're going to talk about your basically what's what your what we would predict your fundamental kind of foundation is based on your genetics. So I've got it up right here. Dude, I'm so excited for this and and I'm really grateful for the work that you're doing because I've already implemented this with a couple of my clients and diving deeper with them because again, you know, I have knowledge in this area, but it really helps to collaborate with a team like yours that takes things even a step further. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, thank you. And and you know, it's we want the information to be something that is like empowering for people in terms of where they need to look to be at their best. And 
And, and the reason I mentioned food sensitivity right off the gate is because we are trying to look a little, we, our, our tests are geared more towards like your cardiovascular risk profile and what's going to help you best cardiovascular wise. We get into a lot of high flying stuff. Like I know you do with your clients in terms of like optimizing for performance, testosterone, energy, and all that is fantastic. But you know, the leading killer of people in this country is still heart disease. And then yeah. you have metabolic issues, which is like type two diabetes, um, you know, insulin resistance. Those, those are the two pillars of where we're sitting with these tests. And that's where we, that's where we start. So that's where we'll start with you as well. So cardiovascular health and metabolic health. Yeah. Cardiovascular health, because you have these debates out there that are so interesting to follow, um, where we see a movie like the game changers or what the health, right. And they're telling you that if you eat one egg a day, eating one egg is equivalent of smoke of smoking five cigarettes. And then you, and then you listen to like a paleo influencer and they say, dude, you could eat hundred eggs a day and it's not going to do anything for you because it's actually not going to move the needle on your, you know, on your cholesterol levels. And there's truth, some truth in, in both sides of those debates. And so we're trying to tease out a middle ground where you can say, okay, why are they saying that? You know, people are saying in the case of the five uh, cigarettes for one egg is because some people have really bad reactions to cholesterol. We want to know why. And then on the other side, people are saying it's totally harmless because that is the default rule. For most people, you eat an egg, you don't absorb that cholesterol, right? Yeah. It's not going to do much of anything to your blood lipids, right? You might be a little different. That's why I want to talk. That's what we're going to get into. That's what we're going to get into right now. Yeah. And I love that but, you mentioned eggs right off the bat. So, so I have some questions about that. We'll, we'll make sure to address them later. We've been nerding, nerding so hard on eggs. I mean, if you're listening at home and you're wondering like, okay, well, what, what's my reaction to eggs? Like you just got to know, you need to know how much cholesterol you're absorbing and you need to know what the shape of your microbiome is. Because if you're absorbing a ton of cholesterol, it could be an issue. And if your microbiome is a little bit off, you could be making a compound, a compound called TMAO, which is something that's been identified by the New England Journal of Medicine as like a, like a metabolite of, of when your, your gut takes the fat and the choline in the eggs and it turns it into this compound called TMAO. And that can mm. be bad for your heart. Because um, you did an experiment recently where you had three eggs a day for a month, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. So we'll talk about that. And then also, as far as I'm concerned, I'm pretty sure the yolks of the eggs, which have been demonized for the last 20 or 30 years, actually are like, have a complete amino acid profile. And, and th that's been my approach. I respond well to eggs. So I think so. So let's dive right in my dude. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, I want to because I want to I'm going to give you I'm going to give you and your listeners something to think about that is nerdy as hell, but it's going to be hopefully also useful as shit. It is. It's for sure. And before we get started, I love one of the things you mentioned too, is like, this is a source of empowerment because so often we play victim. You know, our parents got cancer or diabetes or Alzheimer's and we automatically assume that that's our destiny, but your genes are not your destiny. And we have so much more control than, than we give ourselves credit for. So this is just another source to feel empowered so we can take ownership of our life. So I'm so excited. All right, cool. So we have you as a forager. So in our, in our diet type, a forager is, is, a, is one of our lower carb diets. That doesn't mean it's low carb in the style of like, you know, super hardcore paleo diet, which is going to hit you with a lot of MCTs, a lot of, um, 
you know, ton of saturated fat, a lot of butter, a lot of ghee, stuff like that. Right. It's not, that's not necessarily going to be a good look for you because the forager, the forager, um, diet type is, is two things at the top level. We're talking metabolic and cardiovascular. So cardiovascular, you have, we would say that you have some wiggle room to eat saturated fat. Why do we say that? Because when everybody eats saturated fat, the body makes a little bit more cholesterol. Now, there have been studies that have been done that look at people that go on super high fat uh, Atkins style diets. The range in difference between the increase in LDL cholesterol is between was in one of these studies that we linked to on our about page because we love it so much. The, 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 the increase was between 5 and 107% LDL cholesterol increase eating a diet that's high in saturated fat. And there's a few different reasons for that, which we won't get into because they're kind of technical. But in your case, we'd say you'd be, you're not going to be at that 107% increase, but you're not at the five either. You're probably at that like 25, 30, 40%. If you blow that pathway out too much and start really just mainlining the saturated fat, you're likely going to see your LDL cholesterol, LDL cholesterol go super high. And more importantly, you're going to see the total number of, of lipid carrying particles go high. And then you're faced with the decision about who do you want to trust? Do you want to trust, you know, some of the more allopathic traditional doctors on this subject? Or do you want to, you know, go to Chris Kresser's blog and believe him? And, you know, that's up to you. So, okay. So question. Let me stop you right there, John. So this, this was actually one, something that was alarming for me because I have a true love, a, a very deep relationship with Kerry Gold's butter and, mm. and, you know, like I'll cook with it. I'll, put it on my, my sprouted bread. Like I, I definitely have a decent amount of it. Um, I'm not having, I noticed when I did have like bulletproof coffee for a little bit and I had the MCTs, uh, I, I, I didn't like the way it made me feel. There's definitely some unsettling feeling in my stomach. Kerrygold's has never done that for me. Um, so just curious, curious about that. Well, so, so here's the thing. I and my team, we don't ever want to demonize any diet or any food. I think that's a that's a poor choice. If you like Kerrygold butter and you want to have some Kerrygold butter every so often, you should do that. We don't want to be here throwing shade at some other diet or saying that somebody is, you know, is utilizing junk science or something. It's just that's not our style. I will tell you this, based on what I know about your genetics, I would expect and our algorithm would predict that you eating a lot of carry gold butter, um, probably in conjunction with a lot of eggs or a diet that's a little bit higher in these fats is going to give you elevated particle count, elevated LDL particle count. Now you sound like you're probably going kind of low carb. So you're not going to have to worry as much about some of these other lipid markers that are elevated when you have insulin resistance, but you're somebody who might see something bordering on this kind of like hypercholesterolemia, high cholesterol, very cholesterol rich particle. You don't want to just look at your LDL cholesterol. You want to look at what's called your LDL particle count, which is kind of like a high-end blood test that I'm really going to encourage you to get for another reason we're going to talk about here in a sec. And you want to see as you're eating right now, what does your particle count look like? And the reason why you want lower particles, not to zero, but you want lower particle count is because the, the way that heart disease happens is there's all these fat taxis in your blood. They carry fats. Fats can't move in water. Um, they're, they're hydrophobic, meaning they can't move in water. So you need the LDL to move these fats around. They're, they're taxis that carry things. And if there's too many of them, they can take a wrong turn. They can basically lodge in your artery wall. And that's where the inflammatory process kicks in where your immune system says, Hey, 
there's a piece of cholesterol or oxidized fat that was delivered to the artery wall. We need to get that out of there. We're going to go attack mm-hmm. it, and try to dislodge it. And, and what happens is the, the, the oxidized fat will bury in the artery wall. And then this, this, this constant immune response to attacking that basically damages tissue creates these foam cells and that's what starts to starts to cause problems in people's arteries and it takes years to bake in but that's what you need to look out for is cholesterol rich on your current style of eating what i think is your current style of eating cholesterol rich particle in too numerous of a count okay that makes that makes sense and while we're on the topic of cholesterol can you can you kind of just break down the difference between hdl ldl and I think there's a lot of fear out there that like cholesterol is bad when actually it has a lot of benefits, right? It's a precursor from what I know for, for testosterone and it's a, yeah. it also for vitamin D as well. It's related. Yeah. So, so the, so people that are really interested in this, there are a number of great diff- commentators out there on, on this subject that you can, that you can go and, and learn from, you know, I think Tom Dayspring is a really good one. I think Peter T is really good. I think, I think it's good to mix in your, com- your, your Atiyah Dayspring more low carb stuff with, um, honestly, I'm not a huge fan of his protocols, but I think it's, it balances things out listening to like Dean Ornish sometimes just to give you both sides of the coin. Um, and doctors that are just, I would also go to the European Atherosclerosis Society. I'm saying that just because this is an incredibly complex topic and there's people out there that are far smarter about it than I am. But I will say this, that the, the, so in terms of your question about cholesterol, cholesterol is good. Your body makes 80% of it. Your liver makes cholesterol. All of your red blood cells make cholesterol. And yeah, you need cholesterol for synthesis of, of sex hormones. It forms the literal membranes of your cells. Um, and it, without cholesterol, there's no life. So you have to have cholesterol. Mm. The issue is, is that, um, the issue is for people is that they hear cholesterol is all bad. Cholesterol is all good. And neither of those are true. And so what we're really looking for are situations where that good thing, the cholesterol becomes too much of a good thing because mm. your body's making cholesterol, Right. And if your body is absorbing cholesterol, your body is generally making less cholesterol. If your body's making more cholesterol, it's generally absorbing less. That's the rule of cholesterol balance, homeostasis that the body follows. Some people will continue to make a ton of cholesterol, even as they're absorbing a ton of cholesterol, right? Mm. And one of the things that sets off this hypersynthetic pathway that causes your body to make cholesterol is actually eating saturated fat. You know, there's biochemical studies that show that saturated fat will retard the LDL receptor and it also, for whatever reason, I don't even think the mechanism is totally clear, causes some people, and they're known in some circles as like lean mass hyper responders. You may have heard of that. Mm-hmm. It causes them to make a ton of cholesterol. And so is cholesterol a good thing? Is cholesterol a bad thing? Well, if your body's making, if your liver is just making a crazy amount of cholesterol, and then the HDL particles whose job is to take cholesterol back to the liver and basically push it through the liver, out of the gallbladder, into the bile acids into the digestion and then you basically poo it out so hdl is involved in cholesterol clearance it literally will take cholesterol back to the liver ldl is taking cholesterol from the liver delivering fats where they're needed and then there's also receptors in the liver that will take ldl out of circulation um i believe hdl can take uh cholesterol from ldl particles out in the bloodstream with um the cholesterol ester transfer protein as well. It's getting mm. pretty technical. 
whole the whole bow of this is it depends. So it really yes, depends, man. And, and and that's why and that's again why we're here is because this isn't about a cookie cutter approach. This is about getting into the weeds and getting customized because that's what you deserve out there listening is like a customized approach. And what I love about your protocol is that it's super affordable and we're going to share with you guys a link to get a nice discount as well. So definitely encourage you guys to take action on this and really make your health and wellness a priority moving forward. Okay. So that provided a little clarity on cholesterol. Now, Right under the report, right where it starts, it has two genes. It has the ABCG8 and then the MTHFR. Um, can you break down what those are? So right at the beginning of the report, that's just you giving, um, that's us giving you a little legend of how to read your report in terms of what the genotyping means and what the science grade means. Got it. But, um, but the at, at the end of the day, I think that cholesterol answer was perhaps pretty technical. What you're really looking for is like with cholesterol is I wouldn't listen to the vegans on cholesterol. And I also wouldn't listen to the paleo people on cholesterol. You know, you don't want your cholesterol at zero, but some of the people that are correctly saying that cholesterol is responsible for sex hormones and um, cellular membranes, they're right. But that doesn't mean that you're not at increased risk if your cholesterol is off the charts high. So ABCG8, what is that? That's a gene that looks at, um, it's a pathway that we look at try to determine how much cholesterol you might be absorbing. Because mm -hmm. you zoom out for a minute and you look at the cholesterol drugs, Jeremy. So it's like you've got PCSK9 inhibitors. These are billions of dollars spent on this research to try to create these drugs. PCSK9 inhibitors, those are popular, super expensive drugs. They're taking cholesterol out of the circulation. They're helping your liver do a better job of sucking up cholesterol so you can poo it out. Then you've got statins. Statins stop the synthesis, the making of cholesterol. They literally shut down your production of some of your production of cholesterol. And then you have Zetia. Zetia is an absorption drug that they give. So you don't absorb cholesterol for people that are hyperabsorbing. And um, Zetia is, uh, targets the ABCG8 gene that you just asked about. So I've, it's basically production, yeah. clearance, um, absorption. What's your thoughts? I mean, it's going to be hard to keep this to an hour, honestly, bro. Um, what are your thoughts? Because I've heard a lot of a lot of things on statins and how destructive they can be and how so many people are getting put on them unnecessarily. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that is that um, I uh, want to listen to the people that I've identified in the community who are smarter than me and listen to how they approach these frameworks. And so I've listened to a lot of the content that um, Peter Atia has put out on this subject. He's really good on this because he's treating patients. He has a very high end practice. Um, and what he's looked at, like I have a friend who's on cholesterol on statins. I mean, David Sinclair at Harvard, he's like one of the leading longevity researchers in the country. He, he has gone on statins. Um, at a young age, because he has hypercholesterolemia. And he knows that there's good, it's not proof, but it's probability that if you have these really gnarly cholesterol numbers your whole life, you're going to have an increased risk for heart disease. So if you go on the statins, it can bring the numbers down. Um, I think the, the thing you got to look at, according to the physicians that I think are the most credible, is yeah, maybe if you have really bad cholesterol, you go on a statin. That brings down your production. But the thing you have to watch if you're on the cholesterol, if you're on the, if you're on the statin, is you have to watch your dismosterol. You have to know your dismosterol, which is, so the dismosterol is, is one of the proxy markers that labs use to measure how much cholesterol you're making. 
And then the cetosterol, which we'll get into in a minute, is a, a marker of how much cholesterol you're absorbing. So if you go on statins, you need to make sure that you're not taking such a high dose that your dysmostral goes to zero. Because if your dysmostral goes to zero, then you're not making cholesterol. And cholesterol is, as you've pointed out, essential to life. If you don't have cholesterol for your brain, for your sex hormones, that's, I think, how the best physicians out there in the country are managing this issue for their patients. They want to see the dysmostral and the lathosterol number once the pa patient has been statinized. Because that's going to give the key as to how much, whether the cholesterol is balancing, the statin is balancing a pathway or whether it's completely breaking a pathway that's important for other purposes, right? So that's, that's how I've heard it approached. And when people ask me about it, that's how I tend to answer. Got it. I appreciate that. Do you want to break down the, the egg study you did for a month? I know you wrote an article about it. Maybe we can just reference the article. Well, let's reference it in the context of your of your genes too, because we're still kind of like meandering around your cardiovascular stuff. So your cardiovascular stuff is actually could be somewhat similar to the cardiovascular issue that I've been talking about. Okay. So there was a study that was came out in the American journal of clinical nutrition. Um, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And it looked at this two studies, essentially it was a fruit frequency questionnaire study, which was like a hundred thousand participants. And then it piggybacked on a drug trial. And the conclusion that they came to was eating eggs is not going to move the needle on your total cholesterol. It's not going to move the needle on your uh, LDL cholesterol. It's really, it's not going to make a big impact on cardiovascular. That was the, that was the conclusion that that study came to. There's other epidemiological studies that come to different conclusions, but that's the, the study that this came to. So I wanted to kind of test this out and see, all right, I'm going to eat eggs every day for breakfast and I'm going to see what happens to my, to my, personal blood work. Cause that's a big part of what we do in gene food is we're looking for personalized stories about nutrition. So I have, you have in your panel, if you look at the egg portion of your panel, it's actually the sterile portion because again, we're using plant fats to measure how much cholesterol somebody might be absorbing. And the reason why we're doing that is because you can't tell how much cholesterol you're absorbing because you're making your cholesterol. So if you have these plant fats in your blood, that's a good sign that you're a hyper absorber of cholesterol, which we would say you might be. And I wanted to see what would happen. So I'm going to eat a bunch of eggs. I'm absorbing the cholesterol. I saw a modest uptick in my LDL cholesterol. I saw a modest uptick in my um, ApoB number. ApoB number is just basically your, your total particle count. It's all the LDL plus basically VLDL that are in your system. But I saw an increase in my LDL particle and I saw an increase in my LP little a. And uh, LP little a is this genetically determined bad cholesterol. It's a cholesterol rich type of LDL. And you, we have a SNP in your, in your, you have a, you carry a SNP in your report that would indicate that you should have your LP little a tested because it might be slightly elevated, right? Minus two. Is this on page four? This is buried in the SNPs. This is in our, we don't call this out specifically. I wanted to draw, I want to put on your radar because I think that, um, there needs to be more of an awareness drawn to this, this issue. This is a, this is an important issue. People that people need to know about. You're only going to see the LP little a number if you get it specifically tested for. And most people don't even know about it. But it's it. something you need to be aware of in terms of like how you're approaching food and how you're approaching, you know, stuff from a longevity standpoint. So I saw my, long story short, I saw my LP little a go way up. So I saw a lot of my numbers stay stable eating 21 eggs. I was definitely absorbing some of the cholesterol. If you looked at just a standard lipid panel, you'd think that there was no change. If you looked at a more advanced lipid panel, 
where you're getting particle size, particle count, um, LP little a, some of these things. I saw some interesting changes, very anecdotal, not scientific. It's not peer reviewed. It's just me. I mean, I get like people could say, dude, what are you talking? I mean, you could poke holes in this all you want, um, in terms of from a scientific standpoint, but I was like, eh, you know, in my intuitively, I, I think that I'm seeing an uptick in this genetic bad cholesterol when I'm eating eggs. And, um, that's a significant thing to know about, uh, for, we can get into that a little bit more later, but that's kind of, you know, I think is something you could see as well because you carry some of these markers that I do. Okay. I, I appreciate that. Thanks for, thanks for going over that. And, and we'll definitely reference that article in the show notes that, that egg article. So, so let me just, when it says, uh, let me break it down for saturated fats. Right. So we talked about, I should, uh, but should limit saturated fat and processed omega six rich fats like vegetable oils. For the most part, everyone should be avoiding those omega six vegetable oils. Correct. Yeah. And I, and, and one of the things that we report on that I think is a little bit, that is kind of interesting. It's something that's very near and dear to my heart is it's like, you know, you, you want to avoid those omega six vegetable oils cause they're inflammatory but they could be especially inflammatory for somebody that's absorbing more of the plant fats and more of the cholesterol. Because the thing about the vegetables is a lot of them are pre-damaged, just the way that they're made. Those polyunsaturated fats are super delicate. They're damaged when they're made. They're damaged when they're put in potato chips or whatever. You eat them, you're absorbing more of those oxidized fats than somebody else. And here's the kicker. And I hope people are, I know this is technical lipid stuff. That's why I use the word nerd when I'm, you know, I, self-identified as a nerd when I came in. I mean, he knew what you were getting. So I did say, but the thing is, is the, 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 that LP little a thing that we talked about, the genetic bad cholesterol, that particle binds preferentially to the oxidized fats. So mm. consider it this way. You don't want those oxidized fats in your bloodstream under any circumstances, but if you're absorbing more of them, ABCG8 pathway, and then more of them are making the way into your blood and you have this LP little a particle that's out there, the oxidized bad fats and the bad things from the vegetable oil, it's like a magnet to that genetic bad cholesterol and the two of them combine. And when they do, that's what really weaponizes that LP little a particle. Okay. So, so even, and I, and I love your approach that you're not telling anyone like, Hey, never eat this. Right. It's not coming from like a dogmatic place. Um, however, if you test your late LP little a, and you do absorb more of that, right? You, it, it, it probably would be in your best interest to almost completely avoid these vegetable oils and really steer clear from them. Yeah. To the extent you can, I mean, right now it's a, it's sort of like a Maslow's hierarchy of like discipline. I mean, when you're facing like a global pandemic and like an economic meltdown and the whole world is changing, if you want to reach for a potato chip, like I'm definitely not going to fault you, you know, like it's some, maybe sometimes that's okay as an overall rule. Yeah, you do. Because, um, because that's, that's something that those mega six vegetable oils are just terrible for your heart, especially if you're absorbing the sterols and especially if you have LP little a. Mm, okay, cool. Uh, yes, makes sense. Uh, so the a APOE gene, um, which I don't carry any copies of, and that's been associated with increased systemic inflammation, um, again, especially in response to higher saturated fat intake. So, so tell us a little bit that I, I thought the APOE, APOE gene was also related to Alzheimer's. Am I mistaken? Yeah. If you carry two copies, it increases your risk for Alzheimer's. Yeah. 
over time. It's, it's, it's a gene that's, um, it's, it's associated with, it can be associated with like, uh, greater absorption of cholesterol and also like a very inflammatory reaction to saturated fat diets where you see like elevated C-reactive protein, elevated LDL cholesterol. My understanding is that the APOE4 uh, genotypes can have both the that big assembly line production synthetic side of cholesterol rocking and the absorption rocking at the same time. And so they can be more prone to like hypercholesterolemia and some of these really elevated cholesterol levels that, um, you, you want to try to avoid. Okay. So I know I read something, I can't remember the country, but there is a population in like sub-Saharan Africa and the, this like specific community has both of the genes, the APOE4, I, I hope I'm saying it right. So you would think, right, like based on based on that information that you would see high levels of Alzheimer's and dementia. However, it's the completely opposite, like because of their lifestyle uh, and, and they're moving their bodies and they're eating, you know, natural plant based foods and and they have this sense of community and purpose. You know, I feel like all of that contributes towards their ecosystem. So. It, does that does that make sense? And if someone has both of these both of these genes, what is something that they should really avoid or take action on? You know, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I I I'm I think that it's pretty clear that in, we started out in the beginning, and I and I I it's a difficult thing to articulate in an introduction. But what I was really getting at is that the way our food is made, we have a, we're, we're blessed because we have plenty of food, but there's a, there's a lot of unaccountable, large faceless corporations that are making the food and, and, and making it intentionally addictive and, and doing things to it. And the, the standard American diet clearly causes disease. And so if you take somebody that has APOE4 and they're out, you know, eating a certain way or living a certain way that's far healthier. Yeah. A lot of that can be influenced by, you know, by your, by your lifestyle. I'm sure, I'm sure of it. I mean, to the, ex to the extent that it can be, I don't know, you know, that's above my pay grade. Um, if it was me and I had APOE4, what I would do is I would, um, I would respect the biomarkers is what I would do. There's a, there's a big push out there to say that, you know, LDL cholesterol isn't causative in, in heart disease because it's quote, never been proven. Um, even though there's no way to prove something like that, it's just probability. You know, at the end of the day, all of this is probability. It's not proof. And so, I, I would I would keep an eye on 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 all of my different cardiovascular markers and all of my on all of my different labs and I would I would watch what happens when I eat directionally one way or another to keep my C-reactive protein in range to keep my LDL cholesterol in a range that's reasonable you know to keep um, you know other inflammatory markers blood sugar insulin glucose you know these types of things I would just try to work with my physician to try to live as healthy of a lifestyle as I could. And, and I, I don't, it's, you're right. I mean, it's not like just because you have one copy of APOE4 that you're determined to get dementia or anything like that. It's just something that you should be aware of because it can affect, we see it as a nutrigenomic marker. I mean, Tom Dayspring has a study out 600,000 samples of, from a lab in Virginia looking at cholesterol absorption markers and APOE4 carriers, 600,000 samples. And it's very there's a statistically significant increase in cholesterol absorption markers for APOE4 carriers. So if you're APOE4 and you're going on to like a paleo blog and they're telling you that you should be eating, you know, ghee and 
six eggs a day and then you should have like a grass fed steak. And all you need to worry about is like the insulin pathway and all you need to worry about is your blood sugar. That's something that could be very, very, very bad for your health. And that's kind of sits at the core of what we're doing, which is trying to be like a, a referee in these diet wars kind of a thing. I like that. I, I see you like with the stripes on with the headband blowing your whistle. Like, no, that's bullshit. Don't be doing that. Um, yeah. so, so, okay. That makes sense as well. Um, are you, are you good to move on to, to, um, like the high glycemic versus low glycemic? Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, in your case, so with the forager, you're sitting, so you've got, I know that's a pretty complicated little path we, we wound there, but at the end of the day, what you're really talking about is the forager has some wiggle room for saturated fat and butter and, and, but you don't want to make it a, an exclusive staple. That's number one. Number two is the blood sugar. So we would say that you would be somebody who, if you're eating a lot of simple carbs and a lot of, uh, you know, bread and sugar, and you're going to see your blood sugar get higher and probably stay a little higher than somebody who's a little more naturally insulin sensitive. That's what our algorithm would say. And so you want to try to keep a real close eye. I mean, we, I think we do, we say in these diets like forager and I'm California coastal. So I have a version of that diet. Um, where we would say, look, you might want to wear like a continuous blood glucose monitor for a while, kind of keep an eye on what's really driving your blood sugar response. Because again, this is the, this is the sad situation we find ourselves in with these nutrition debates is you have the, the, the vegan side who generally does a decent job of kind of ringing the alarm bell on the potential dangers of cholesterol when it gets out of hand, not all the time, but when it gets out of hand. And then on the flip side of that coin, you have the paleo community, which tends to do a really good job of talking about the dangers of, you know, metabolic issues and, and insulin resistance. That would also, keto would fall into that camp, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, and so we would say that you would be somebody who just would want to be a little bit more careful about the, what food you're eating is doing to your blood sugar. So do you have any any brands that you recommend for doing the continuous blood glucose? I think like Dexcon. I, I don't know. I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet myself. I know there's a few of them that are out there that are good. I don't have any right off the top of my head. Okay. So, okay. So, so you, so just, just real quick, breaking it down, high glycemic foods, right? These would be things like white bread, white pasta, corn tortillas, um, like cereals, anything yeah. white in color for the most part, you know, whether it's rice or potatoes. And yeah, I think, go ahead, go ahead. No, and, and that's gonna, and that's just gonna cause a higher, uh, a higher spike in our blood glucose levels. Yeah. Yeah, it can. I mean, I think it's because those foods are absorbed right into the bloodstream right away from the small intestine. And so they just get boom, right into the blood. Whereas the complex carbs they're, um, they're, that are fiber rich, they, they're harder to break down. And so they make a lot of that plant matter makes its way to the large intestine where it ferments. And the fermentation process is what produces these um, short chain fatty acids like butyrate and the things that lie in the mucosal layer of the gut, keep the gut healthy. Um, then we can derive energy from. Whereas the simple carbs, boom, they're just in the they're just in the blood right away with with the glucose. And then just like the immune system will see something on the artery wall that they don't like, and they'll be like, "Oh, we got to get this out of here." The same thing will be true of um, it, when you have the sugar in the blood. Your immune system's like, "Whoa, that's supposed to be in the cell or in the muscle. It's not supposed to be floating around in the blood." And so that's why that mm. drives inflammation too. 
Got it. Okay. And then, and then moving down, if, if you feel comfortable doing so and, and, and just staying on this point, if I was to have some higher glycemic carbs, would doing that like after a workout or after being physically active be more beneficial? Would that make sense? It would make sense. I mean, you, you could think of it like, you know, and, and the place to go there is the, is, is the bodybuilding community. I mean, those guys are just so smart about, they're the, basically the original biohackers. I mean, they know all about, you know, the muscle implications. My, 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 my knowledge is that, you know, when you've done, and you know, this, the athletic, the athletic stuff you do, you're having to, to draw down on glycogen and like you lift weights, you got to draw down glycogen in the bicep to get the, to get the energy to, to, to lift the weight. And so if you take some of those more insulin spiking foods after you've done a good job of de- depleting your glycogen stores, hopefully that carbohydrate fuel will be used to replenish glycogen or be used for energy rather than being stored and converted over to triglyceride or, you know, um, or stay in the blood. What up, fam? Sorry to interrupt today's show, but I am so excited. This podcast, the Energy Exchange Podcast, is something that I have put my blood, sweat, and tears into. And honestly, the best way that you can show your gratitude for me and this show is by leaving an honest review in the iTunes store. It would genuinely mean the world to hear your feedback and to support this mission. Word of mouth is my oxygen. Thank you so much, fam. I appreciate you. I love you. Let's get back to the show. That that is very clear. So when we have when we have some of these carbs like immediately after a workout or some intense physical activity, rather than getting stored as triglycerides, um, they they're replenishing the glycogen stores that we just use to exert that energy and effort. Right. Okay. Perfect. I love that. That, that I feel like is very, very clear and stuff that people can take action on. Obviously this is my customized, uh, my customized plan, but I'm excited for everyone to dive into their own and it's going to, it's going to provide such useful, empowering information. And then just real quick on avoiding alcohol. Um, you know, obviously I know, I know alcohol is detrimental basically for everyone in, in large amounts. So, so was that something that was specific for me? Am I particularly sensitive to alcohol? Well, so Aaron, our geneticist has handle on this. This isn't one of the topics that I've done as much of in the weeds research, but we have the, um, the byproduct of alcohol metabolism, metabolism, and I always mispronounce it. It's like acetaldehyde, I believe. I believe is how you pronounce it. Yeah, you're right. And not everybody can do as good of a job of essentially metabolizing that waste product of alcohol metabolism as some others. Um, and then you have also the issue, and you don't you don't appear to have any of these issues in your charts, but alcohol um, will reduce the enzyme in the body that uh, clears histamine. And so people that have issues with histamine, alcohol can be a, a tough one too, because it can exacerbate gut issues or histamine issues. Um, cause it uh, reduces the levels of, uh, what's called diamine oxidase in the, in the body. Mm, okay. And, and John, I want to ask you like how much of this stuff do you, do you say is like intuitive? Because again, what I, what I really try to, empower my clients with my community with is like, listen, like 
if you have a food, if you're going to eat something, if you're going to do a movement, observe how your body feels. What are your energy levels like after? Now, obviously, we're not quite aware of you know, the impact on our insulin and blood glucose and all these things. So where would you say like the intuition part comes to play? I think intuition is huge. I, I think um, intuition is huge. There's a couple things I would say just as somebody who struggled myself, especially uh, in the past with like food sensitivities, sometimes food sensitivities can take a little while to manifest. So you can be actually shooting at stuff that's not the culprit. So you'll eat something, then you might immediately feel crappy, but you could actually be dealing with something that was a few steps upstream from that last food you ate. So your intuition might tell you, Oh, well, I can't eat this. When in reality, you know, you're not able to eat X or Y food because of the inflammation, the inflammatory table that was set by something that you ate a day or a day ago, or you've been eating habitually for, you know, six days. I think on, um, I think on, and I'm I, intuition. I, I love it, man. I think that's great. I would say in cardiovascular though, I think, I think it's counterintuitive. I think the cardiovascular piece is counterintuitive. Actually, I think you can be on a diet where you feel like you're crushing it. You feel amazing. You're getting all sorts of benefits, euphoria from ketones, the whole nine. And then you just, you've never felt better. And then you actually get like a really serious lipidologist to take a look at your, at your, at your blood panel. And it's terrible. And that happens to people all the time. And that I think is the scary thing. And that's the, that's the message that we want to be out there doing is we're going to always defer to people like you for like high performance, like the people that are just crushing athletically doing all these different types of things. That's not necessarily as much our, our sphere. What our sphere is, is to give you a little bit of a, is, is, you know, the lifting, the energy that that's all offense. We're trying to give people a little bit of defense. And saying like, dude, you also, when you're playing offense with performance, you need to play defense because you're not going to be 25 or 35 or even 40 forever. You're going to be 50, 60, 70. And how do you want to show up later in life? And some of these cardiovascular issues take a long time to brew and smolder. And we want to give people the tools to say, yo, look, this is the long game here. And just because you feel good on keto or just because you feel good on paleo, it might be because you're doing great on paleo or keto. But it might be because, you know, you, you might be missing something too. So that's kind of, if that makes sense, it's kind of how we help you approach it. Got it. So, so what blood markers would, the, I guess this, this breakdown that you guys, that your team provides would be a great partner with like some blood work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Blood work is huge. That's why we have that all listed in the thing. And actually what I'm going to do is I'm just going to power into my living room here to chart to like, sorry, bro. I just got to plug my laptop in. All good. Yeah, bro. I, I actually have my blood work that I did like nine months ago. Yeah. Let's go over that because so, so what we would, what we would predict for you, Jeremy, in the algorithm, it, it's totally, it depends on how you're eating. I mean, if you're eating super strict and you're being very disciplined, this wouldn't be the case, but we, we might predict that you might have a little bit, you might have a little more of a predisposition towards higher triglycerides. Um, and you know, your trigs could get out of hand. And then if you were blowing out that saturated fat pathway too, potentially the LDL cholesterol, that's why your LDL genes in comprehensively were a little something we said to look out for, because it seems like there could be the possibility that the LDL number and maybe even the VLDL number could go, um, a little bit higher. Okay. Okay. Um, have you had I, an, 
NMR and NMR panel done? Like where you have particle count and all that? I don't, I don't know if that got included in my last blood work. Um, unfortunately, all this stuff is on my other laptop. Also, I'd like send it to you right now and we could, we could break that down. But, but okay. The, again, this is really, really helpful information for people to, to wrap their heads around. And is this also, I know you mentioned when we first spoke as well, um, how these different foods play a huge role in our cognitive function, our memory, our mental performance. Can you talk briefly about that? And then we'll get back on track with my report. Yeah, well, I mean, I clearly people that are going on a ketogenic diet and low carb diets feel, you know, the, the, the ketones running on being fat adapted and running on ketones is something that I think people report over and over again for just incredible cognitive benefits, um, which is, which is cool. The, the, the brain is another organ that requires blood flow and to the extent that you have a healthy heart and you know, that your body is free from as much inflammation as possible. I think that's going to lend itself to good cognition and good mental health as well. We don't have any markers other than like APOE4, which we specifically look at, which you could say like tie back directly to that. Um, but but diet obviously plays a role in, you know, in your, in how your brain is working as well and how you're thinking, how clear you are. John, what are some of the foods that cross the blood brain barrier? I know blueberries are one of them. What are some other foods? I know some of the amino acids, like I know theanine crosses the blood brain barrier, for example. Theanine. Um, yeah. Some of the, some of the amino acids. I mean, my understanding is that, um, the production of serotonin is a huge, is hugely determined by the bioavailability of different um, amino acids getting making their way into the brain, and that tryptophan is kind of like the yes. you know sort of like the redheaded stepchild, if you will, of like bioavailability, like making its way into the brain. Like tyrosine and like some of the dopamine precursors are much more able to get into the brain. And then, from what I remember of my serotonin research, basically insulin kind of clears out the playing field of those other competing amino acids, which is what allows tryptophan to make its way into the, into the brain. Um, so I, when I think it's not something I'm super versed on that I know a ton about, I, I, I do remember a little bit of stuff about amino acid bioavailability with, um, my research on, we did some research on serotonin supplements, ones we like, ones we don't like. And, um, and I remember from those days and I know the military has done some research on that stuff too, but that's, probably getting a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Would you say ser serotonin supplements? Like, are you talking about like SSRIs, like antidepressants? No, we, we do. We, we talk a lot about supplements on our blog. So like at the end of the day, like my, my understanding is that essentially all these amino acids and all these neurotransmitters are working in concert. You have GABA is balancing out glutamate. You have, you know, dopamine and serotonin are working in concert, all these different. And so if you flood one of the pathways, so like you take some 5-HTP, 5-HTP just puts a ton of tryptophan, makes it super bioavailable, bioavailable and floods that serotonin pathway. My understanding is, and, you know, again, this, you know, this is not my area of research, my area of expertise as a citizen scientist. My understanding is that that comes at the expense of other important amino acids that are the substrate for some of the other neurotransmitters, right? Mm. And so if you're taking something and you're just sledgehammering your brain with a serotonin 
a supplement like St. John's wort or um, 5-HTP or some of these just ubiquitous supplements that everybody sells, you're hammering your brain with that. Yeah, you might get a serotonin uptick, but what's it doing to your dopamine? What's it doing to your long-term mental health? I don't like messing with a ton of supplements. Theanine for me is a good one, but I don't like messing with a ton of supplements that are super bioavailable, bioavailable to the brain and that can throw off my, um, my neurotransmitter levels in my brain. Cause I, I know it can cause me to be moody or it can cause me to like have an interpretation of the world that I might really might not be authentic. It might be some kind of pharmacological temporary, like downturn that I want to avoid. Yeah. I think that's a good point too, like not being overly dependent on any of these, even if they do bring you some benefit, um, just being mindful of that. So, so as we continue breaking this stuff down, I'll kind of let you take the lead on this, John. So we're kind of at the protein breakout stage. Um, and obviously I'm, I'm pretty aware, uh, through self-discovery of me being lactose intolerant. So I do my best to stay away from dairy unless I'm like in another country where they're environment of, you know, cattle is much more natural and they're grazing grass. I find myself not reacting at all. You know, when I'm out in, you know, Spain having cheats or, or in South America as well. So that's something interesting that I've discovered. Yeah. I mean, so we can see it there. There's genetic markers. This is pretty run of the mill stuff. We can just see that you have lactose intolerance, which we would predict that you would have, uh, lower amounts of that lactase enzyme that breaks down the sugars in dairy products. So at the end of the day, my, I, I believe the way it works is essentially when you're a baby and you're, you, you need to be digesting lactase because you're getting milk from your mother. Um, you have higher levels of the enzyme and then everybody's enzyme activity wanes as they get older. And some people it wanes and goes basically to zero. And that's the people that we can see genetically probably have lactose intolerance. And then for some people, it, um, you know, it stays a little, stays a little more robust. Like I can do okay with dairy too. Like I'll put a little bit of dairy on things. I don't think dairy, like, I mean, look, if you're living in a Sicilian village or you're on the Island of Sardinia and you grew up there and you're getting like a feta cheese that you pour local honey over that like your grandmother mm-hmm. made for you every day. Am I going to sit here like in my like Southern California spot and be like, yo, don't eat your generational amazing, gorgeous feta cheese. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do or say that, but like, are you going to do great? Like going down to like whole foods and picking up like a pasteurized, like lump of cheese from like, like X branded corporation Y, and then just like crush that every day. Probably not. That's probably not going to be like the healthiest food. Um, for most people, I wouldn't think, although I like cheese, I still eat it, but I try to be super careful about, you know, the cheese that I eat and especially the amount that I eat. Okay, cool. So, so going down here, um, and honestly, like avoiding dairy has never been easier. There's so many delicious milk alternatives now. Like, you know, you have oat milk, you have coconut milk, almond milk, like so many delicious things. And now they might ice cream with all of that stuff too. So, so I feel like it's never been easier these past five or so years. Um, coming down to methylation. You yeah. want to talk a little bit about this? 
Yeah. Methylation is something that it's another one. This is why we have like geneticists and like medical doctors and like nutritionists on the team, because methylation is something what I've really zeroed in on with my research is like metabolic and cardiovascular. That's where I think I need as the founder of the company to be able to speak eloquently about those issues, especially as they relate to me, because um, I think that there's a lot of, we really want to go to, go to, I don't got a war, but we, we want to really fight back against like some of the stuff that's been out there about, you know, like in scientific American and some of these kind of clickbaity articles that say that there's quote, like no science to DNA diets because it's fundamentally not true. So many of these genetic targets are like right in the wheelhouse of like allopathic, like pharma company. This, this stuff is just, it's not like, I don't even get that. Methylation though is where it starts to, I think our industry starts to walk on some territory that's a little shakier. And that's why we don't make it a huge focal point of our reports because methylation, okay. but I know I want to get into it though, because people are super interested in it. My personal opinion is that a lot of the people that are in the industry make these huge claims about methylation. And, and I think that, that the, the marketing on that has probably outpaced the science a little bit with that as a, with that as a caveat. There are genetic markers that are out there that our body uses to basically uh, pathways in the body that we use micronutrients for like folate for like, like cellular repair and for the health of our bodies, like in real time, like our body is using these micronutrients and they're making things with it. They're like recycling amino acids and these incredibly complex processes. And for methylation, that's stuff we look at to see like, um, what do your genetic markers say about Largely, uh, how you metabolize B vitamins. How is your body using B vitamins as a substrate to kind of keep it healthy? Are you somebody mm -hmm. who takes folic acid? People have heard of MTHFR. People that have these MTHFR mutations, they're very common. And if they're taking a folic acid supplement or eating a lot of foods fortified with folic acid, they can't metabolize that synthetic B9 and they can have problems. Or mm -hmm. somebody who's not getting enough B vitamins on a vegan diet. And they see really elevated levels of homocysteine because their body needed those methylated B vitamins to recycle the homocysteine into methionine or whatever else it was going to be. And you don't want to see the, those numbers really high. So that's kind of a thing where it's like, how well, how well are you using B vitamins? Do you need to look for elevated homocysteine because homocysteine can be bad for the brain? You know, there's a lot of research that links homocysteine to like heart, heart problems and uh, cognitive problems. So for me, if I saw that I had a, methylation issue, I would want to get my homocysteine levels checked and I'd want to be potentially supplementing with a methylated B vitamin while also being aware that there's research out there that links taking methylated B vitamins to increased risk for cancer in certain populations. Yeah. So it can be so, it can be so tough to navigate these waters and, um, and yeah, I mean, it, as much as possible. And I know this was a hot topic between Sorry for interrupting, by the way, between, um, between they had it on Joe Rogan, the guy who, who was the director for the movie you were talking about super, what's it called? Uh, game changers. It was the James, James, Will, James exactly. Will, Chris Kresser debate. Was, right. I've watched the episode like 10 times. <laughs> yeah. 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 Chris Kresser. I feel like I'm a huge, I, I'm a fan of Chris Kresser's work and I feel like he lacked a little preparation. The other guys seemed to be like, ready for everything. And one of the hot topics they talked about was like B12, I believe. Right. Yeah. Look, I'm a huge fan of Chris Kresser too. I think Chris Kresser is super thoughtful and I don't, we, we actually did a podcast on our podcast about that episode, just nerding out on it. And like, 
the thing that I thought was unfortunate for Chris, because Chris knows a ton, man. He's super smart about botanicals. He's super smart about the microbiome. He has a, he's a clinician. He treats patients. He sees people. He sees what works. He sees what doesn't. He's a, he's a good dude. They wanted to, they wanted to demonize him because he's out there on the forefront of like more of a paleo movement. And there's, there's a, there's politics to the vegan side of things too. Right. And so I, there's a lot of politics there. And I feel like they really had their, their crosshairs on him because he had come after their movie. The flip side of that coin is he made a bunch of claims in quote debunking the movie that wouldn't withstand the pressure of like a, a litigation style force coming at him and making him back them up. And he got caught like UFC style caught a couple times, like caught and hurt like a couple times in that debate where something landed on his chin and then he couldn't quite recover. And then they landed on his body and then he couldn't quite any, and it, and it was just like, I don't think he was prepared for the level of like pugil, pugilism that was going to be there. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, animals are having to be supplemented with B12. Uh, you know, he, he had the Diaz scoring a little bit off the forest plot thing. So that was a crazy, that was a crazy thing, man. That was a crazy thing to watch. Yeah. And I think, like you said, I just, I think there's a little bit of lack of preparation and, um, and it's just a good, it's just a good lesson, I guess, whenever we are going to speak about things, um, to, if, if we are going to get in a debate with someone like have, have some facts at your disposal. And the other guy was really manipulating some of the things he said too, especially at the beginning, but he definitely came at it strong. And, um, and it was interesting. So, so going in and staying on like this topic of vitamins, right. And I know you mentioned in the previous podcast, uh, the one I listened to with Austin, there's not like a vitamin that's just going to save you. Right. Like, especially right now, people are like, what do I need to take to save myself from COVID? Right. And they're looking for this magic pill, this magic vitamin or mineral. But if there was to be a magic vitamin, it would probably be vitamin D. Right. Well, it's funny you say that, man, because like, I'm so torn on this because I'm, I'm with you. Like, it's, you just got to try to maintain credibility at all costs. And I feel like one of the best ways to main, maintain credibility is just to, try, and this is kind of ironic coming from me as chatty as I am, that you would, that I would literally be saying this, but I'm going to say it with a straight face, which is like, you got to just say, you don't know. Like I, the thing that I learned when I go through all this research and do all this stuff is I learn that I learned that what I don't know can fill like more libraries than you could count. Right. And that's the thing that's so interesting about learning. I think, um, in terms of the nutraceutical stuff though, against that backdrop, I had this guy in my podcast, um, Dr. Theo Harris, Theo Herades, and he's a quadruple Yale grad. He's one of the leading experts in the world on mast cells, mast cells being relevant because the mast cells are the cells in the immune system that release cytokines. And he has some really interesting research on molecular docking software, looking at nutraceutical agents and some pharmaceuticals that bind to the ACE2 receptor, which is the, the entry point for the spike protein of the coronavirus into the lungs. Right. And looking how there's some nutraceutical agents where if you get them in high enough levels in the blood, they'll bind preferentially to the ACE2 receptor. So his big ones for that were um, luteolin, which is not lutein. Luteolin is different than lutein. It's a different um, flavonoid, which is the mast cell stabilizer and quercetin. Vitamin D is another one too. And vitamin D is a mast cell stabilizer, but um, there's other mast cell stabilizers like theanine, 
Uh, zinc is a mast cell stabilizer. And what all that means is that if you're having a terrible reaction to COVID, it means your mast cells, the cells that release the cytokines, IL-6 is a big one. They're pissed off. They're like, dude, I can't get rid of what's in the, in my lungs. I'm like freaking out. I'm going to throw every last gun. I'm going to shoot off every last gun. And that actually is end up, what ends up having people have terrible reactions. So he, Dr. Theoretes thinks that um, luteolin and uh, quercetin as a combo, if you can get it, a lot of that in your blood, that that's a really powerful um, uh, nutraceutical agent for uh, for COVID. Of course, you know, Austin and I are probably more skeptical, but Dr. Theoretis has a PhD in pharmacology from Yale and he's on the faculty at Tufts medical school and he's lethally smart. And, um, and so he's been talking a little bit. He's the only guy that I know credibly talking about nutraceuticals and COVID. Mm. So can you only get that via supplement or do we produce any of that or Uh, can we get it in food? There's some food. I, I know luteolin is in foods. I don't think you can get enough of it into the blood to kind of quiet down the system the way you'd need to with, um, you know, with uh, uh, something that was like more bioavailable. But yeah, he's one to check out, Dr. Theo Herades, T-H-E-O-H-A-R-I-D-E-S. He's, um, uh, I mean, he's a incredibly brilliant guy. I feel like he should, I feel like people should, I, I wish his research more people were looking at his research because he's, he's very credible. Awesome, bro. We'll definitely, we'll definitely link to him as well. Um, I want to, I want to go over anything else in my report that you think is noteworthy for me. One of the things that, you know, I, I actually knew, but it, it's always nice to see that affirmation is caffeine. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of just like, most areas of nutrition and, and health, there's people that say coffee is bad. And then there's also saying that, you know, people, coffee is a superfood with all of its antioxidants. And again, it goes back to like the production. A lot of the coffee, especially in the U S um, comes from, comes from land that uh, has a lot of toxins on it and, and it has mold and all of these things. I'm actually talking to the founder of purity coffee after this. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's really delicious, um, high quality stuff, but, but, um, I am a fast metabolizer of caffeine, which means that my body does a good job of breaking it down. And, uh, it's also mentioned something about having a shorter half-life. So from what I understand, caffeine has like a six hour half-life. So if I have 200 milligrams at noon then I'm going to have a hundred milligrams in my bloodstream at 6 PM and then 50 milligrams at midnight. Is that right? Yeah, that's the thing that I, that's, I mean, it's, it's such a common sense thing. But one of the things that I picked up when uh, Matthew Walker, the sleep uh, scientist at UC Berkeley was doing the podcast circuit. Um, one of the things that I, I thought was super interesting listening to his research was just, yeah, you got to remember that as you're saying, the, the half-life plus the quarter life, mm. quarter life of caffeine. Cause yeah, it's still lingering around. It might be half metabolized, but when you go to bed, you still got some caffeine in your system. So yeah, I thought, I thought that was, that's a, that's an interesting point. And, and there is research that shows that people metabolize the stuff at a different speed based on their genetics, um, to a degree. And so we, we, we report on that. Okay, cool. Is, is there anything else, John, that you want to, you want to break down from my specific report or talk about from 
basically the the nutrition plans that you provide people? Yeah, I mean the 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 one marker that I just would revisit that I think is really really interesting. There's, well, there's, there's a couple of them. One, we do talk about cannabis on a little bit in the, in the nutrition reports. And that's, there's some research that's out there um, that tends to indicate that some people can have uh, bad reactions when they're taking huge doses of THC. It can be bad for their mental health. So we don't have you in like the highest risk category. We have you like intermediate. And so we would say like, you'd be much better off with something that was more CBD rich than something that had a ton of THC in it, especially synthetic THC, we would say steer, steer away from that. Um, cause it just might, you, it just might not be, I don't know if that's, if you're finding that. For sure. I, I, I had my stoner phase, like when I was younger, you know, like 17 to 21, 22. And then I realized, you know, it was just not serving me. Like I would become paranoid. Like I was anxious. I couldn't focus. And, and, um, yeah, I, I never smoke, smoke weed. I do, I do love CBD though. So I take that a couple nights a week. Um, and my body seems to respond pretty well to it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, um, I think everybody goes through that stoner phase at one point. <laughs> yeah. Right, bro. And, uh, and then last, I would just say to, to revisit for the people listening at home, I know there's kind of a, it's like drinking from the firehouse with some of this stuff, but I think that LP little a marker, man, that's the one to keep an eye on. That's the one you want to look at and get tested and see what your LP little a level sit at. And that's just LP with a little a. Yeah. It's lipoprotein a. Okay. And it's called that just because it's a regular LDL particle and it has a little APOA tail that's attached to it. It's like a mutant type of bad cholesterol. And you want to check that out. And um, there's a lot of good resources. Uh, there's a guy, Dr. Joel Kahn. He just wrote a book on LP little a um, that, you know, Dr. Kahn's great. We don't always agree with see eye to eye with him in terms of everybody needs to be vegan, but he wrote a book on LP little a. Um, there's other resources out there. People have done, done shows on. We've written a lot about it on our blog. And so that's just something to have on your radar, have it tested. and. Um, and see if your cholesterol consumption moves the needle on the LP little a. I've noticed for me that it does because I have that same thing you have, which is probably a little more absorption. And then combining that with the LP little a is the thing that you, that's one of the big takeaways, I think, from your report that you want to keep an eye on. You want to get your sterile panel done to see your synthetic versus absorption of cholesterol. And then you want to get the LP little a done to see if it's elevated. Okay, perfect. Um, I appreciate that, bro. What else? What else do you want to hit on, man? I mean, there's so much that we touched on. What maybe we can maybe we can even bring it down a little bit of a level in terms of, you know, there's there's so again, there's so much debate. There's a lot of confusion out there. And I really like to provide people with clarity. So so what are some what are maybe two or three things or foods or actionable steps that people can take right now to really optimize their, their health, their overall health, their mental, their spiritual, their physical health. I think, um, I think one of the things that, that, uh, people can, can do is to realize that, um, we all benefit from the innovation, the scientific innovation in, the, in our, in our country and around the world. And it's a real blessing but to realize that 
you don't always fit in the meat of the curve in terms of like the statistical averages. Mm-hmm. So I think just the, the big takeaway here is, yeah, like you've got, you're hearing this guy and like, I know, trust me, like it, the, the lipid stuff is, is, is a little bit, it makes your eyes glaze over a little bit and you're just kind of like, okay, like, dude, all right, whatever. I think at the end of the day, the takeaway from that though, is that you have to find out for yourself what your body needs. And that's kind of a, something that I think everybody, it's a journey that everybody should go on. And there is very rarely a situation where it's just checkers. There's some chest to it. And I think the the key is to get with people you trust who are going to give you access to the information that's going to help you and your family and just, and just, you know, find, find somebody you trust, work with them and, um, and, and, and have an idea of why, you know, you work the way you do to the best you can. I think individual exploration, honoring your own individual experience, realizing you're not a cookie cutter of the person next to you and you're not a statistical average. And that in and of itself, aside from all the technicalities and all the fun nerdiness, I think is a good place for people to, to, to start, I would think. Yeah. Just, just becoming more aware of themselves. And this is a great time. Like it's a great time to go inward and discover some things about yourself that maybe you weren't aware of before. Uh, So, so selfish question for myself, but also for everyone listening. So we're going to provide everyone listening a 20% discount uh, for having their report run through my gene food. And if you haven't yet done ancestry or 23 and me, you can do the full saliva test through your, through, uh, through your team, right? Yep. Yeah. You can do it. You can do the kit through our, yes, you can. And are you guys just in the U S we're thinking about shipping internationally. We have people in that are, you know, a small number of people in New Zealand and Australia sometimes and Germany and places like that, that contact us. So we were thinking about setting up international shipping. It's not, yeah, I have a client, I have a client in Melbourne. Um, I have a client in Melbourne and we're trying to make this happen as well. We, we should, we, we can make it happen. We, we, it's something we need to do. We're, you know, you know how it is with, with people at home, everybody's, we all have a ton of more plate. It just seems like the to-do list just keeps. I know. I know. I'm glad I'm not the only one that feels like that, by the way, that, that brought me some peace of mind. Yeah, dude. Um, Crazy. So, so John, what are the, people are going to have this done. They're going to get their report. And then I know you mentioned a couple of specific blood markers, but are those going to be included if you, if you get your blood done at a typical lab or are those things you need to request? Some of them are, are, are at a typical lab. Um, but the big thing for us that we're, I, I guess the reason why we're getting it such, so in the weeds on the cholesterol stuff yeah, is because the, the in those weeds are the answers to the individual questions. You know, you kind of got to go in the weeds a little bit to kind of get your, to get your, it's like the legend of Zelda for, for cholesterol. You kind of got to like fight your way through some stuff and go through some mazes and then you can get there. And so the LDL cholesterol, triglycerides, um, HbA1c, all these normal stuff that you get, you can get that anywhere and those have value, but we, we want to see people get their, um, 
like their particle count. So labs like Cleveland Heart Lab, Boston mm. Heart Diagnostics, um, Wellness FX. And like we also said, and because this is this is where the cutting, we're trying to bring our audience the cutting edge of what the conversations people are having in the lipid world. And so what the really what the really kind of thought leader physicians are doing is they're also having those sterile panels done. And the reason you're getting the sterile panel done is just to zoom out is because it's going to tell you why you're having the reaction. It's going to help you determine why your cholesterol sits where it sits in terms of what's the, what's the cause. Um, you can see some of that in genes. So you got to ultimately have the blood work detail it out. And um, I think it's worthwhile to do that, you know, once a year or something like that, at least. Amazing brother. And correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure when I got this, you guys sent over like a sample nutrition guide for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So there's a two week meal plan. Um, that's something we've been trying to iterate on and make better. Um, originally we had recipes and people found that the recipes, like who has time for, they were too complicated. They're beautiful recipes, but they were a little more, you know, there's like sauces and stuff. The meal plan is meant as essentially just like a whole foods, two weeks, just literally stuff you can pick up and kind of put together. That's supposed to be so simple as not even really need a recipe. It gives you two weeks of guidance on how to eat. And then what we like to do is uh, put people put chronometer on people's radars. Have you seen chronometer chronometer? Uh, <laughs> it definitely rings a bell, but no, it's like, it's, it's like, um, there's the, that app from, I think under armor that like you can track your macros and your micros and stuff. And this Got is just, it one of those apps, I think the best one. And it makes it really easy to just populate what you're eating each day. And then it spits back out for you, you know, how, what percentage of fat came from saturated fat, what your omega six to omega three ratio was, if you're getting enough B2, if you're getting enough, you know, Oh, that's full, legit. Oh, it's, it's really a great, it's really, a, they, they've done a fantastic job with it because at the end of the day, and look, these, the macros we recommend, I hate to see somebody become too look if you're off by 5% or something, it's like, I think everybody's going to be fine, but it's just, it gives you this kind of foundational idea of like, Oh, okay. I actually am eating like this much of percent of my calories is coming from fat. This much is coming from carbohydrate. I actually am getting or not getting this much in the way of omega three, this much in the way of omega six. And I think it helps people balance out um, their eating and hopefully it's helpful to kind of give an idea give a, a way of following the diet types to, to, to try to see if you can't give it a try for a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's legit. And I think the goal with any of these things, at least that I, I preach is this isn't something that you should be on or be using your entire life. Like this is again, a tool for awareness. So, you know, like, okay, like this is how my, this is what I'm eating, this is the breakdown of it. And then that way you can pivot and you can make any of the necessary changes there. Because again, like food should be fun. Food should be joyful. It shouldn't be like, like stressful, like shit, I shouldn't eat that. Or I need to measure out the exact amount. And, and I think a lot of times, especially that, that's one of the th triggers I have, honestly, is like with the, I, it's more in the bodybuilding community, I guess is like, it's all about calorie deficit. And it's like, it's like, okay, cool. That's such, that's such a, a surface level way to approach things. And, and I don't know that that's just my, my opinion. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think 
especially now with COVID and, and, and the, everything that's happening, I'm just trying to be a, just a, even just a little less strict and just kind of being like, you know what, <laughs> stuck at home all day. I'm just going to take, take it easy. Just try to keep the levels low. Last question I have for you before you, you, you leave with any parting words is I know, you know, as someone who's in this field and who's passionate about helping people, especially my family, you know, it can be challenging. You know, I'm sure you've, you've helped and you've empowered hundreds, if not thousands of people around the world to take more ownership of their life and nutrition. Uh, how have you been able to implement this and penetrate this with your loved ones, uh, your parents, um, other people in your life without pushing it on them and doing it from a place of love? Yeah, that's a great question, man. I, I have yet to succeed in that, in that, area. Um, I have, I have some friends, like some friends who I've been able to, I think help a lot. Um, some of my friends have, have done this. And then the key is, is we're hoping is, you know, you can use this as like one voice and then you can work with hopefully a physician who's, you know, at the cutting edge and who's really looking out for you. And then the, the chorus of voices, you know, people like you and then there's a plurality of opinions that are out there so it's not just gene food but gene food's one of the voices that hopefully people have in their head that they're respecting that they're thinking about what we're telling them with family it's tough because my my parents um are just neither of my parents have taken a gene food test (laughs) my sister my sister uh did and um i think it's probably because they see how nerded out I am on this and they just, they already are getting saturated with enough of this stuff anyway for me. And they're just like, man, if we take that diet test, like we're never going to get him. We're never going to get him to shut up about this stuff. So I think that could be it. But the, the family thing is a challenge, man. It's, your family is always going to be, do you find that? I mean, I, I think the, the family is for a tough one. Yeah. yeah, for sure, bro. Like, especially my dad was just retired. Actually. Uh, he was a neurologist. So, so, you know, there's definitely, my dad's like the most humble dude, but there's still like some ego there. But like my dad, my dad's been so much more open the last couple of years. Cause I changed my approach. Actually it, it was triggered by when I did ayahuasca for the first time two years ago in Peru. And I realized like, I just needed to come from a place of love and compassion rather than like, rather than like, Hey, do this or do that. And I realized I was the problem. And since that moment, I've really just been more patient. I've explained to them, like, guys, like your health really means the world to me. I want to see you. Uh, I want to, I want I want you to be healthy grandparents, you know, at some point in the near future. And if you continue doing X, Y, and Z, it might, it might contradict that. It might inhibit that. So I think when I came from that angle, it definitely helped. And my parents are staying super active. I mean, there's always more you could do, but they're going on five to six mile hikes every day and, and eating, eating much cleaner. You know, I'm sure you can relate like growing up, it was bagel bites, smart ones, hot pockets, uh, pop. I mean, it's crazy. Like how resilient our bodies are to overcome all of that. I know. Dude, that's really wise, man. I think that's a really wise insight that you had because I, I think what can happen, and I've noticed with, noticed uh, with myself, is when I'm not advocating for this 
health stuff in a way that's healthy is I'm, I'm actually seeing something that I think could be unhealthy for a loved one. And then I'm projecting anxiety onto them. Mm. And nobody likes to have anxiety projected onto them. It's, it's not a good feeling. And, no, and people don't, that's not how you convince people. That's not how people respond. You might see something that you really believe is a, a potential pitfall, but if you can't come at it in a way that's calm and like, and, and, and as you said, like supportive, it, you're not going to make many converts in your family. And I actually think even if you do course correct and you do come at it from a place that's healthier and calmer, you still might not course correct and you still might get nowhere. And so it's different family. They picked up your poo. Like they changed your diaper when you were like a little kid. Like, I mean, it's, you know, yeah. they you when you were falling off bikes, it's like, how are the, that's, you can't get that history out of your parents' heads. Yeah. And, I, I think, it is, of course, it's complex. It's a case by case. I am definitely convinced that it can be done just because like, I didn't think I was going to be able to penetrate my parents and, and I've seen just incremental improvement. So I'm grateful for that. Um, I even got my mom off of Folgers coffee. I'm like, ma, like, like, you're, you're, you're way too deserving of high quality coffee to be having instant shitty coffee. So like I got her a French press, like some good fair trade, organic, high altitude, low acidity coffee. And, and she's on that hype now too. Um, bro, real quick, rapid fire, John. All right. Favorite emoji. Uh, I like, I have a few. So the emoji, some of the emojis that I like to use, uh, I like the, 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 like the, the bicep emoji. Hey. I like, I, you know, sometimes I like the, uh, the, the almost like game of Thrones, like black knight riding off into battle emoji. Okay. Um, cause I see like my career, my entrepreneurial career, uh, career is very much like a, I see it as a bit of a pirate ship. I see us as like a pirate ship, like, you know, um, and so, yeah, that's kind of a lot. I, I, the laughing emoji, like laughing, crying emoji is really good. There's like a Cuban dance emoji that I will randomly throw out. Um, hey, that's, that's like, popular here in Miami. Yeah. That one, I throw that emoji out sometimes too. Okay. So yeah. Fire at all, but yeah, it's about next, next time we talk, I definitely want to dive deeper into like the entrepreneurial journey as well. I feel yeah. like, yeah, I'd love to connect with you on that front. Um, biggest pet peeve. Man, I don't know. I'm not going to touch that one right now. I feel like when you devolve into pet peeves, pet peeves, listing pet peeves for me is like appearing on reality television. There's a small handful of people when they list their pet peeve, people will be like, oh yeah, I'm with that person. Like, that sounds great. Like totally get him. And then like 90% of the people when they list a pet peeve, people are going to be like, dude, shut up. Like it, it, it's so just like only a small handful of people come across halfway decent on reality TV. I don't know if I'm in a position right now where I can list a pet peeve and have it come across in a way where it sounds even remotely like convincing or it's going to like rally yeah. people to my cause. So I'm just going to pass and give okay. that. Emblem okay. It's your fine. It's your last supper. It's your last supper here on planet earth. Okay. And I want to know what is going to be on that table. What's your last meal consist of? And who are the three people that are joining you for that? It can't be your friends and family. Um, and they have to be currently living. Oh, wow. Okay. So it has to be essentially like public, public figures. No, Just doesn't her. have to be. It can't be immediate circle. It can't be like girlfriend. Yeah. It's gotta be. Okay, man. On my last table, oh, there's going to be definitely um, like some mezcal. 
um, some good mezcal. There's going to be uh, like some, uh, there's a, this is good to start with the cocktail. So there's going to be like a, definitely a little bit of gluten-free beer that I've been into. There's a brand here in San Diego called Glutenberg, which I really like. Hey, um, I have some, some good wine. Um, I like uh, some beautiful Wyoming uh, grass raised beef. Um, and then just probably a, a random, almost like just cornucopia, like there's certain pizza places in New York that I really like. I want to have a little bit of that beautiful Greek salad. Um, God, I'd have to, that, that would take some preparation, man. It's really tough to say. Okay. Uh, and who, who's joining, who's joining you at the table? Oh man. Um, living, living people. Oh, I think you, there's so many names that come to mind. Um, who are maybe three people that have influenced you a lot in the health and wellness space? In the health and wellness space, I've definitely been influenced, as you could tell, by uh, Peter Atia. I think he's a really, a really good one. Um, is one of the people that I'm probably most influenced by in the health and wellness space. Um, you know, I've been reading a lot. You know, getting into a lot with with politics and in and, and government and stuff like that too. So I, you know, th- those are some people that I would probably want to be joined and speak with. But that's kind of worlds colliding. So I'll, I'll hold off on any of those types of, you know, those types of names. I'm trying to think, I mean, who else would I want to have like joining? Um, Are you like a big, uh, do, do you align with um, like Mark Hyman, Rhonda Patrick, people like that? I, I align with them in great admiration for them. Right. Like I think like Rhonda Patrick is just incredibly smart and knowledgeable and you know dr hyman has this beautiful way about him we um we don't we're, we try to kind of have our own little little sphere of thinking in 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 our little corner of the world so i don't always align with every message from every nutrition out there and we but so i know that's those are those are those are pretty pretty poorly answered questions but um i would have to really think about that all good, brother. All good. I want to give you the opportunity, John. First of all, I just want to acknowledge you, man, for showing up in such a powerful way and, and, and being so committed to the mission of inspiring and empowering people to take control, to take ownership of their health, of their lives. So thank you so much for the work you're doing. I'm looking forward to continue connecting with you and supporting you um, through this journey. Uh, what final words would you like to say to our beautiful audience and then also where can people connect with you? Yeah, I would, I mean, uh, to, to the extent that I have uh, wisdom to share out there, I would just say that, uh, that in today's world, I think whether it's health and wellness, whether it's just uh, societally friends, family, I think it's important to embrace who we are as individuals. I, you know, I think remembering your individuality. And I think one of the things that's really cool about, you know, the world of, uh, podcasting and, and, and small business and startups is that I think if you, if you really are, are willing to kind of put yourself out there and who you are as an individual and follow things that you're interested in, I think that it, it can give you opportunities for, you know, career and for livelihoods that are really exciting. So I think that there's, there's always, there's always room for people who are willing to share why they're unique and what makes them unique and, and having a openness to what makes the next person unique. So I know that's a little bit of a woo woo kind of almost vague answer, but that I, I do think that, that 
there's a there's a need right now for a greater focus on individuality um, in the context of community, in the context of sharing, in the context of cooperation. But I just think um, we are we all have things about us that make us unique as individual people, and I think that that's an important thing to 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 remember in a lot of different contexts right now. Um, in terms of where to find us, you know, we're at mygenefood.com. We have a sort of not amazing social media presence, but we have the strongest one on Instagram where we have a pretty good community on Instagram. So we're definitely going to be sharing this podcast there and um, promoting the show. And so we're on Instagram at Gene Food. And um, yeah, that's, you know, the blog, The po- we have a podcast, Gene Food Podcast. So if anybody's interested in the stuff, you can pop over there and that's it, man. Oh yeah, brother. I appreciate it. Guys, please, please, please don't just let this information go in one ear, out the other. Take action on this. Implement this into your life because it is so powerful. I'm going to link in the show notes so you guys can access this amazing report. Super affordable. I was so impressed by the price of this and the information that we get. So make sure to take advantage of it. Hit the link in the show notes. And John, I got so much love for you. So much appreciation, brother. And guys, you already know what time it is. It's time to get your body right. It's time to get your mind right. And don't forget to exchange energy along the way. Peace. Please, please, please let me know what you thought. Let me know how I did. Let me know what was the biggest divine download that you had. Because ultimately, that allows me to be better. And not only that... When you teach something, when you share something, that means you're learning it twice. That means it's becoming a habit. That means it's becoming part of your DNA. So much love, fam. And as always, it would mean the world if you took that extra 13 to 24 seconds to leave a review in the iTunes store. It helps spread this message and reach more people. I got so much love for you, and I will see you back here for Monday's show. Peace out.